Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Greg Miller of TalkDesk about hospital contact centers serving as the digital front door for healthcare organizations. And now, on to the interview. This is Jay Kumar, uh, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Greg Miller, VP of Industry Strategy for Healthcare and Life Sciences at TalkDesk. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, and uh, as we get started, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about TalkDesk and what you do there. Oh, sounds good. Um, well, first, I would, I would say that I'm always uh, delighted to speak with people that are passionate about healthcare transformation, especially around, around safety and quality. And my, I actually started my career in a uh, hospital in Boston um, in the mid-80s, so in your neck of the woods. And um, I've been a process improvement junkie in healthcare, self-proclaimed process improvement junkie. Um, for a, for a long time, and so my role at TalkDesk is I lead the healthcare and life sciences vertical, and our focus is really on provider organizations, mostly hospitals and health systems, um, and uh, then payer organizations. And actually, there's some overlap, of course, between payers and providers these days. And then uh, lastly, on life sciences companies, which really the emphasis is on pharma, biotech, and medtech companies. All right. Um, so we we're going to talk today about contact centers. Um, so I was wondering if you could explain the, the concept of a contact center and why it's so important. Yeah. So I'll give you my personal philosophies on this. Um, I actually don't like to use the term contact center. And the reason that is, is because it connotes a physical place and it also connotes the antiquated voice only kind of interaction. And so what I tend to think about more is about um, just interaction in general and how do you manage interactions? Because ch- Interactions can come through a variety of channels. Um, you know, I think in, I think what you're seeing in healthcare in particular is finally consumerism is, you know, making its way into healthcare. I think you know most of the processes and IT systems in healthcare have been built around the physician or the clinical experience, really, and very inwardly focused, as opposed to um, you know focusing on the customer, which is. The patient, and I, I and I actually think about it in two ways. One is that we are healthcare consumers most of the time, but we're patients sometimes, and um, so I think you know we're all very comfortable in other segments of our lives. Um, you know, for example, with Amazon, as in particular, you know, using our phone and firing up the Amazon app, searching for a product, click one button, and it magically shows up in your doorstep the next day. And that's service, right? That's friction free, and that didn't happen with a voice interaction that happened through di- only digital interactions. So I think what you're seeing now in, in healthcare, and actually COVID was a big, um, had a big impact on this in the terms of accelerating the consumer expectations in healthcare. Um, and it's a good thing that came out of COVID. I was listening to, um, uh, I part- I'm a, we're a member of CHIME, which is the College for Health Information Management Executives. And I was listening to a keynote speech at the CHIME Summer Forum a, a few weeks ago. And Russ Branzell, who's the CEO of Chime and a former CIO of Health Systems, he was talking about how healthcare has, um, you know, CIOs were on a 10 to 15 year journey uh, of digital transformation in healthcare. And because of COVID, that got rapidly accelerated and condensed into 10 to 15 months. And yeah. so I think you're you, within the context in our realm, you're starting to see that impact as well. And many healthcare organizations are, especially in the provider segment, are, are thinking about 
um, a digital front door. And I put that in big air quotes because it has different meanings to different people. Um, but that is being driven by consumer expectations and people don't always want to have to call. And so I guess you, you sort of uh, got into it in, when you, in your just, what you just said, but you know, how has that contact center slash interaction changed in recent years? I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, we just went through, you know, sort of that uh, acceleration of, you know, use of digital, but, you know, even before that, how, how had you seen it uh, progressing? Yeah. Well, I'd say that um, healthcare by and large, especially in the provider industry, um, has been um, really way behind other industries. And, you know, I, from the position that I'm in, I see a lot of RFPs that come in and requirements from organizations. And it's not just provider industry, provider um, segment, it's also the payer segment and even life sciences. The um, the type of requirements that I often see are very technical in nature, um, and they're focused on the voice interaction and the live agent interaction. Um, there's probably only 5% of those RFPs that I see are, are people that really have a vision for a truly digital experience. Um, and I think what you find in a lot in healthcare is, you know, they, they've had their contact center, which is, you know, primarily focused around um, a lot of routine things like scheduling appointments and prescription refills and rescheduling appointments and you know, maybe some clinical questions, maybe the nurse triage, those types of things. And, um, and that's, that mindset still continues in today's world. It's, it's, a, it's the very few organizations that are really forward thinking and, um, and taking lessons from other industries and applying them to, to healthcare. So it's really... You know, I think the state of the state is actually one that is um, a little bit still stuck in in the old ways of doing things. And um, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, consumerism is finally making its way and is starting to drive change. And so the you know, whether when you think about the current contact center environments in most organizations, they're from a technology perspective in particular, they are mostly legacy uh, solutions. Uh, mostly on-prem, um, and you know when I when you think about healthcare and how it's structured, you can you know you really think about a, a health system as being a conglomerate of clinical businesses, and what's happened you know historically is that these organizations have multiple contact centers. You know one of our customers is more a healthcare system down in Florida, and they um, uh, you know his, previously previous to TalkDesk they had. Uh, 14 contact centers, three different instances of on-prem technology um, that with TalkDesk consolidated into one with the cloud-based um, uh, infrastructure. And so you're starting to see innovative organizations like that that are more forward-leaning and thinking about the consumer experience and not so much about uh, the internal processes of the organization. So it's going to take time um, for especially the provider segment to catch up. Um, but we see signs um, and, and we're doing we're trying to do our part to educate the market on um, what what an exceptional customer experience looks like by leveraging, you know, TalkDesk is a company. We've got 2000 customers in any industry you could possibly imagine. And so one of the one of the benefits of that is that we have perspective across lots of different industries and how and what good looks like. And so in healthcare, we are trying to educate the market. 
um, and our you know, customers and prospects about, hey, this is what's being done elsewhere. This can happen in healthcare and here's how we can help you make it happen. Um, so what industries in particular are you looking at to sort of emulate uh, in healthcare? Yeah, I think um, the probably the most uh, advanced and sophisticated uh, retail and e-commerce for sure, um, and financial services as well, travel and hospitality, um, because they they have to compete. You know, a lot of those services are very commodity um, in their orientation, and they need to compete on value, and they need to compete on experience. That's what differentiates themselves. And if you even look, you know, in healthcare, you know, some of the things that have happened in, in recent months, where um, you know, Amazon in particular, you know, they launched Amazon Care a couple of months ago, and they're focused initially on telemedicine and primary care. And that's where they're starting. And I've I read some interviews of, you know, CEOs of other telehealth companies that said, ah, we're not really worried about Amazon. And I, I look at that and I say, well, yeah, probably the CEO of Barnes and Noble way back when, <laughs> yeah. you know, 20 years ago, wasn't worried about Amazon selling books, but now look what they've done, right? They've disintermediated entire industries. And, and a lot of that is based on, or, or, the, or the foundation for them is user experience, right? So that legendary one-click user experience um, that everybody knows and loves with Amazon is coming to healthcare. And I think that's positive. It's going to impact, you know, change. And, and that's a good thing. So how does that, how would that translate to healthcare if you're a patient? How does the patient experience kind of change, you know, with that kind of, you know, say, you know, we're able to kind of uh, replicate that for healthcare. How does that change for the patient? Yeah. So the, um, you know, during the height of COVID, I think that was uh, what happened during COVID was it did cast a bright shiny light on how siloed the healthcare system really is. And, um, it was not unusual for people to who needed to schedule, you know, an appointment or need a prescription refill to sit on hold for three or four hours, trying to, you know, do something simply um, with the contact center. And um, many of those interactions from a patient's perspective can be managed um, with digital interactions with things like virtual agents and chat box and two-way texting capabilities where you don't actually have to talk to a physical person. You know, things like scheduling an appointment is always um, a challenge because, you know, I, I look at my own world. I'm on Zoom calls 10 to 12 hours a day, and I don't have a break in my day to call the clinic between nine and five to schedule an appointment, um, you know, Monday through Friday. And on weekends, I can't call because they're closed. Right. So, um, but it would be awesome if I could just fire up a you know chat session and schedule an appointment that way. So many of the very you know regular routine things can be automated by leveraging AI and leveraging technology so that you don't have to route everything to that human voice. So it kind of goes back to what I, I originally mentioned around the context that are being very voice centric, mm-hmm. um, where customer interactions um, are uh, any channel. So I, we, we did a very exhaustive market research study uh, a couple months ago, it's something called the Patient Experience Revolution in Healthcare Report, which is on our website. And in this report, we um, surveyed uh, over 700 patients and 150 patient experience professionals. And some of the data that came out of it was just really telling about where, what, what patient expectations are about. And one of the stats um, is that 74% of patients um, want choice in how they interact um, with their with the healthcare system, and the, it want, and when I say choice, they want channel choice. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to speak with somebody, but a lot of times you don't um, to, to accomplish what you need. And so from a contact center perspective, you know, contact centers can focus on the high value interactions, not the routine. I need to schedule an appointment, reschedule an appointment. I need directions to the clinic. Um, I need a ride. I need a prescription refill. Those are things that can be automated and leverage AI um, to do that. Um, so I think those are some of the things that are happening. We also um, learned that from patient experience professionals that I think it, the stat is somewhere around 78% or 71% said that the digital transformation of their contact center was the top priority for this year. So it, it, these are all great signs, right? That people are recognizing that patients are asking for these things and healthcare consumers are asking for other ways to communicate than just voice. Um, so those are, those are just some of the trends that we see that are accelerating change. Yeah, and, I, and I, I know a lot of people don't like talking on the phone anymore. I mean, there are a lot yeah. of people who'd rather, you know, do it all by text or online. So I, I imagine it's just sort of meeting that consumer demand, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think in healthcare, um, the, uh, you know, a, a lot of, one of the common beliefs is that seniors, you know, Medicare age and, and above, don't want to interact digitally. Well, the, you know, many of our, our uh, customers that we, that we work with, um, texting is their number two channel. And, you know, the seniors are very comfortable. Well, there's two things I'd say about seniors. One is, you know, they're very comfortable using a smartphone, texting their grandkids and their kids and, and, and friends and keeping communication that way. But it's also that um, uh, when you think about digital adoption amongst the, you know, 65 and older set, um, you know, Blackberries have been out since 1998, 99. And many of people that are 65, 70, 75, 80 years old had a Blackberry and then had a, you know, a smartphone, whether it be an iPhone or an Android device, what have you. So the, this misnomer around, you know, the, the senior population doesn't like to interact digitally is just isn't true. Um, and so I think that is, that's been a, a belief that has been a limiting factor in providing great patient experience historically, but then the younger generations, they don't want to call. We know that from yeah. our research as well. Yep. And I think we all get, you know, barraged on our phones from numbers we don't know. And what happens? If you're like me, you just don't answer your phone. You yep. let it go. And if they don't leave, leave a voicemail, I block the number because um, you know it was a spam attempt. Yeah. And so, um, so we need to look at other ways of communication that are more convenient and 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 personalized um, for that interaction versus just sitting on, you know, calling, navigating an IVR tree, getting a live person on the phone. Are there concerns about, um, you know, PHI uh, getting out, you know, that way as opposed to, you know, direct, you know, voice, voice to voice contact? For sure. And um, there's, from a technology perspective, I mean, the talk test platform is entirely HIPAA compliant and GDPR compliant and ISO certifications and so on. And so that's, as you know, in healthcare, that's like, you don't get past go yeah. uh, without those certifications. Um, but there's, so from a digital perspective, it's, we can um, implement a lot of things, uh, whether it be authenticating a user, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, when I call my clinic and they need to validate who I am, they ask me for my name and my birthday. That's it. Right. Well, yeah. we, we can employ things like voice biometrics or facial recognition or fingerprint authentication, uh, which adds another layer of security that is way beyond anything you know, stipulated by HIPAA or anything like that. So that's, that's really important. 
But when you do get to a voice interaction, um, there are processes and procedures inside of a contact center to that, that the actual agents have to um, adhere to relative to things like PHI. So it could be things like when a, uh, a, a patient has to pay a bill and they need to uh, um, state their credit card number over the, over the phone, being able to you know, stop the recording of that call, you know, pause it, and then re, you know, restart it after that person reads off their, their uh, credit card numbers. Simple things like that, that are actually quite, you know, from a technology perspective, are, are more difficult than it sounds like um, behind the scenes. And then things like being able to transcribe calls uh, so that you have the information about um, you know, the call so it becomes part of the legal medical record if it needs to be and you know, storing of those. And those interactions, I should say, you know, for those interactions that people do want to actually speak with a, with a, with a voice, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface that because it doesn't, a voice interaction does not have to be a live person. Right. Because you know, virtual agent voice, you know, a, through AI, um, the virtual agents are becoming more and more conversational every single day. And they can do things that human beings might not be able to do by leveraging data sources that that virtual agent and the AI is, is connected to. So being able to understand, um, you know, they're just very smart. So things that we employ are things like medical grade speech to text and medical grade NLP to really understand that if, if a patient is calling in and they're speaking with a virtual agent and they say, I need to refill my levothyroxine medication, um, that the AI knows that, well, refilling a prescription is a process. Uh, levothyroxine is a medical term. Um, it's because, you know, things like medications are not in Webster's dictionary. Um, so things like that, there's a lot of technology that can apply to those kinds of virtual interactions um, that are outside the quote contact center and the, and the live agent interaction. Um, is there, I know like, you know, it sounds like consumers are, you know, pretty much for this kind of change. Is there resistance from the organizations, from leadership or, you know, even providers about, you know, kind of going to a system like this as opposed to doing it the way we've always done it? Yeah, I think, um, so we have a very robust advisory board, healthcare advisory board. It's made up of about 15 CIOs and chief medical information officers and heads of patient experience um, at uh, some leading organizations. And the biggest barrier, it's really not about the technology. The biggest barrier to adoption of a um, mindset around, you know, superior patient experience is culture. And um, so it's the cultural issues that need to be tackled in addition to before, you know, before adopting technology, because um, technology is not, not going to fix the culture. It's going to fix the experience, but it's not going to fix the culture. So organizations, you know, when you look at most provider organizations in particular, it's very difficult to find a chief experience officer. I mean, maybe if I were to just ballpark it, maybe 1%. Of provider organizations have that type of title. Not, and it's usually not a chief, like there's a handful of organizations that have a chief. It may be a VP. Um, and, but once you get beyond those select few organizations, the patient experiences is distributed, can be distributed across multiple, you know, patient access has a focus on that or revenue cycle 
um, has a focus on that. But it's not a single person who's accountable for a holistic view of the patient experience. The leading organizations are bringing in people from outside of healthcare, you know, hiring people from Disney, for example. Um, I know Intermountain Healthcare has done that. And it, it's that type of uh, infusion of thought leading um, ideas that will come from other industries that will drive the change in healthcare. I, I think it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be difficult for it to come from within solely. Um, it's gonna take too long. Um, and I think about the analogy I tend to make, you know, being in this business for more than 35 years, I've lived through um, just the different changes in healthcare, um, whether it be structurally, regulatory, payment-wise, um, but also the, the role of people in an organization. So I think about the role of the CIO today where you know, 20 years ago, it was still fairly common for that role, that you know, the, the top uh, position in IT to be called a director of data processing. Yeah. And the director of data processing reported to the CFO. Um, it wasn't until early 90s, mid 90s, maybe, where the, it was the rise of the CIO. And that, and that role got a, got a um, position at the table with the rest of the C-suite. And that role got viewed as a strategic position, not just as a director of technology, if you will. And so I see that also in the, patient, in the realm of patient experience where it's today, it's, it's hard to find who really owns it. Yeah. Um, and, but you're starting to see leading organizations elevate that position to a C-suite position. And that's all goodness in my mind. Definitely. Um, what percentage of organizations would you say are, are doing this now? Um, you know, actually like, you know, doing the, the interaction the way you would, you know, we're, we're hoping to get it to. Yeah, I think um, it's still a very small, very small. Um, what we see with a lot of prospective customers is it's a, you know, from a technology perspective, they know they need to move from on-prem legacy systems to the cloud. You know, five years ago, um, you know, cloud adoption in healthcare, specifically in the provider market, was very low. They were very reticent to do so. Um, one of the, another positive of COVID though, was, you know, you think about the contact center, suddenly everybody had to work from home. That's very difficult to do with an on-prem solution where you have to have VPNs and there's backdoor security issues and things like that. Um, it also doesn't enable them to scale. And so when you had this massive volume, so you had two problems. One, I got to move the agents suddenly work from home. Second is the volume of calls that happened during COVID was just incredible. And so the scalability of those on-prem solutions uh, really got taxed. So what, you, what we see a lot is um, provider organizations in particular that, are, that recognize their technology infrastructure is antiquated and they need to move to a cloud-based solution. So I think that's, that's, a, first move, that's a first move they make is, is in that regard. Um, and then they start to think about well, what are some other digital channels that I can, um, we can adopt um, because patients are telling us they want to act, interact digitally. Mm -hmm. What we then see is organizations, they'll say, okay, I got my core contact center and it's, you know, voice centric. And then I need to provide some sort of digital capability. So I'm going to bolt on a text capability, or I'm going to bolt on a chatbot capability. And what happens when they do that is they just create another silo of communication, right? It's, it's a, it's a different vendor. It's not integrated with the voice interactions. And so while you may just, you know, functionally, you, you may interact with a chatbot 
um, on, a, on a website, on a provider's website, and then you need to actually speak with somebody, you got to still pick up the phone and call. Or you might, mm. in limited situations, get passed off to somebody, but that person you get passed off to, the live agent, doesn't know anything about the context of why you originally chose to interact with them. And so that's why, you know, we talked to us, we have a platform that manages all interactions and these interactions are synchronized and contextualized at every step along the way. That's how you get to a great experience. I think we've all, you know, for those of us that have been patients or even just for routine stuff, you know, you go into the clinic and they hand you the clipboard and the clipboard you have to fill out with the same information every single time. And it's the same information, right? On paper. Um, and that frustrates people. They don't want to do that. They're like, why do I have to give this information again? And so that's where the synchronization of interactions is super important and personalizing those. And you know, personalization can happen uh, with backend system integration with things like CRM systems, like a Salesforce, um, as well as through the electronic health record. So whether you're talking about an Epic Cerner, Allscripts, Meditech, or the hundreds of other uh, EHRs that are out there, the backend system integration enables those interactions to be smarter and it makes the AI better and the enables a live agent in a contact center to personalize experience because there's so much rich data that is in the EHR. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about these organizations that, you know, are just starting to look into this process or, you know, haven't started yet, is the, the dollar figure of, you know, potential dollar figure of converting to a system like this, is that scaring some people off when maybe it shouldn't? Um, sometimes. I, I'm just thinking back, you know, with prospective customers that I've spoken with, um, it's kind of a level playing field out there from a cost perspective. So it, it, I guess from my perspective, it has not been a major barrier of adoption. It's more organizational strategy and culture of the organization. I read a, um, a Harvard Business Review article uh, just yesterday, and the article was talking about the correlation between uh, patient experience scores, things like HCAP scores, and the direct correlation to net profit. And in this article, they were talking about how a, based upon their research and the data, that a five percentage point increase in the um, overall hospital patient experience rating via star ratings yielded a 1% improvement in net profit. And, you know, hospitals, they run on razor thin margins. Yeah. Uh, these are things that, you know, I think, and this is kudos to CMS with putting such an emphasis on HCAPs and star ratings um, because it now hits provider organizations um, directly in their wallet. And so they have to pay attention now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, things like you mentioned earlier, things were accelerated during the pandemic in terms of you know, use of technology. How long do you feel before this becomes a mainstream uh, situation where we have, you know, this kind of an interaction? Um, it's a really good question. If I were to get my crystal ball out, um, I mean, we're obviously working very hard to, uh, mm-hmm. to advance the ball. Um, I would say probably in the next 24 months, um, you'll see a massive acceleration of digital um, technologies for patient, for patient experience. And I would say that in the next five years, it will become commonplace. It's going to take some time. Uh, but, but I, I think mean, 
before COVID, you probably would have had that further down the road, right? Yeah, for sure. It was not even for a lot of people, it wasn't even on the radar. Mm-hmm. It was things like, you know, people sitting on hold for three or four hours that they realized they just, they needed, there's a better way. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This is fascinating stuff. And I ho- hope you're right. And uh, we see these changes a lot faster than uh, originally expected. Me too. And thanks for having me. Really, really was fun. All right. Thanks. That wraps up episode 37 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening and hope to join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again and stay safe.